You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey everybody, and welcome into this week's edition of the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane. That is Brent Hubbs, and plenty to talk about regarding Tennessee football, Tennessee recruiting, the transfer portal, 2024 recruiting, Little 23, Polynesian Bowl with Nico Iamaliava, on three prospect rankings, Tennessee basketball, so much to get into, and we're going to discuss it all over the next 60 minutes right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Appreciate you guys watching and subscribing to the BallQuest YouTube channel and always staying dialed into what's going on with Tennessee Athletics over at BallQuest.com. Uh, Brent, the first window of the transfer portal, it has closed, and Tennessee said goodbye to 11 players to the portal and welcomed in eight players from the portal. Uh, this first window, kind of how would you assess how Tennessee did in improving its roster? Well, I mean, I think they filled some needs, and we'll see if they're done. I mean, they're done in terms of guys leaving, but you never know. They've got a few days here. Classes start tomorrow. You got the drop ad drop deadline that, that's about a week out. So you you could still get something done uh, over the course of the next week if you wanted to. And it's pretty clear I think Tennessee uh, would take the right corner if there was a corner available. And and obviously uh, Davidson um, and I'm not going to pronounce the last name because I don't get any last names right. The kid from Ole Miss that yeah. from New Jersey that Tennessee um, had in as an official visitor coming out of high school and he picked Ole Miss late. Um, I, I think Tennessee would, would take him and, and would, would gladly bring him on the roster if he wanted to come. He's got to make a decision pretty quick on whether he's going back to Ole Miss or whether he's going to go somewhere else. He's got to get, he's got to get that done in, in short order. But I think when you look at overall at Tennessee and you see the list there on the board, uh, they wanted a receiver. They got their top target. They had to have a tight end. They got a guy that they really liked. I'm not going to say uh, McCollin Castles was their, their top target, but that's a guy that they made a decision on quickly. And he went, and, and away they went. Um, they wanted a defensive back. They got that in Judy. They might take a second. Offensive tackle, we talked about. John Campbell, they had to get. He was their priority. Um, that's where they focused, and that's where they went and got him. Now, you know, we'll see how that turns out. They put a lot of eggs in that basket. Um, you know, Carrick, I think, is going to be a guard when it's all said and done. I don't think he's going to end up playing tackle. He may get a shot at right tackle, but it feels like and looks like a guard to me. With, with the departure of, of Juju Mitchell, you had to have a, tie, a, tie, a a linebacker, and they got the linebacker before Juju Mitchell left. So that that's a one-for-one one there, right? Norman Lott's a guy that they knew about, and then you bring in Charles Campbell to compete. I think you, you filled your needs, and I think that's what everybody needs to understand. That's the point of the portal, right? And I'm not picking on Lane Kiffin, but I don't know why you bring in two quarterbacks, to compete against each other. Now, maybe you bring them in because they're now that they're here, that they're stuck, right? And there's no place for them to go, Eric, because you're not going to get that second transfer. Maybe that's why you brought in two there. But but I don't think you 
you should not look at this thing as going, hey, I'm building my roster out of the transfer portal. I got a I got a spot fill holes, plug plug some holes and gaps that I have. And Tennessee, I think, did that when you look at the positions of, of need. You know, how they pan out, we'll see. I mean, we've seen players be home runs in the portal, right? Hendon Hooker was not supposed to be anything in the portal, and he turned out to be a Heisman Trophy candidate. Um, we've seen other guys in the portal that's come in and just ha- haven't made an impact and, and haven't done anything and haven't been big factors. I I would say Jawan Mitchell's impact on Tennessee was minimal, wouldn't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so I think when you look at the portal overall, um, I think Tennessee did fine. I don't think they lost. I think the biggest thing is the roster retention. They kept who they wanted to keep. And I think that's your biggest challenge in the transfer portal these days, isn't it? Is roster retention, keeping the guys that you want to keep, not losing guys, um, you know, who are being recruited elsewhere by other schools. Yeah, no doubt. And that's why as soon as the season's over, you have the head coach that's essentially interviewing his players. You know, they're, they're exit interviews, but talking with each and every player on the roster, seeing kind of where they stand, where their mindset is, position coaches are doing the same. And then you kind of hold your breath, and there are going to be some obvious departures, but some, like you mentioned, that you would like to hold on to. But that's, I mean, this first window was 45 days, and it was it was a, a long window, and it seemed like it kind of went by pretty fast, but it was pretty long. There will be another window later on in the spring, and um, as you mentioned with the ad drop date, and there are some players who are in the portal that can still go somewhere, but they're kind of, you know, the, the clock is ticking there. So we'll see if Tennessee's done for, for this way. But when I look at it, you kind of just work their way through the list. I mean, Tennessee got a corner, a wide receiver, defensive lineman, an offensive tackle, a linebacker, an offensive guard, a tight end, and a kicker. Uh, just kind of being very, kind of spreading it out. And it's not band-aids, but, but it's something to kind of implement and help your roster move along because you do have guys who leave for the NFL or leave for graduation and all that. And I think Tennessee did a good job in that regard. The latest addition from the portal, portal was a cornerback and. Uh, gave Judy Lolly of BYU the second BYU commit for Tennessee out of the transfer portal. He is teammates or was teammates and now is teammates again with Keenan Peely, the linebacker from BYU. What do you like about this addition? And it should create a lot of competition there at cornerback for Tennessee that was very up and down this past season. They had to throw in there and play a lot of guys. There's a lot of uncertainty at the cornerback spot, but this is the guy, Brent, that according to Pro Football Focus, and I know that's not everything, but Rated out at a 79.1 on over 600 defensive snaps. That's pretty good, and that's much better than anything Tennessee had at that position this past year. Well, when I look at it, I, what I see is the nearly 700 snaps that he's played. Yeah. And he's also played in this league. And and I think that's what Tennessee needs, is they, needed, they need somebody who can come in who's got experience uh, in this league, who has played um, and has some confidence in this league. This is not an easy league to play corner in, as, as you well know, as everybody well knows out there. Uh, so I think the fact that he's got experience, not just in college football, but he's got experience in the SEC from when he was at Vanderbilt um, it is a positive. Um, you, you mentioned the competition there. Yeah, there is competition there, but, but what does that position look like? Um, look, we know the freshman, okay? And everybody's excited about the freshman, but we, we've not seen – you know, Jordan Matthews and Christian Kiner at this level and, and all those things. I mean, I, I I have no reason to believe that they're not going to be good players. Are they guys that, you know, you're going to hand them the starting position out of the gate like you did with Bryce Thompson and Elante Taylor? Is that what you want to do? Probably not. You want to play them, and they should play them. And Austin's talked about this. You've talked about this. They have to get more athletic back there. But Christian Charles is not a corner. That's not home for him. Yeah. No. 
Christian Harrison, I don't think is a corner. I think Christian Harrison is a safety, um, you know, or maybe a nickel guy, but probably more of a safety type deal. So when you look at it, where are, where's their depth at, at corner aside from the freshman, right? You got Danico Slaughter. Warren Burrell's going to be back, we assume, it appears at this point. You know, he was, he's got to be more effective, you know, if, if he's going to be your corner. Brandon Turnage, I think, has got talent, but, but he's never been able to stay healthy. And where does Kamal Haddon fit, fit in, right? I mean, that's, that's a guy oozing with talent, but also oozing with, um, you know, potential problems on the field, personal fouls, you know, jawing and doing some things, not, not focused the way that you need him focused in, in some regard. So um, I, I think that's why you see them. I think that's why it was important to get, um, to get this corner. And I think that's why you're seeing them with, with Igmanosa trying to recruit a second corner. I got his name sort of right. <laughs> hey, I'll, better you than me. I wasn't going to try to say his name, even though, as you already pointed out, I remember Tennessee recruited him hard out of high school. He came in on an official visit. I remember talking with him, but was not going to try that name. We'll see exactly where he chooses. But again, the clock is ticking for him. Ole Miss went out and got a transfer quarterback from Georgia Tech earlier today, just in case he does leave. So uh, Tennessee is on that short list of uh, would-be suitors there. Uh, there's some questions coming in. Of course, we'll take all your guys' questions throughout the next 60 minutes. We're on here for the Rocky Top Rewind until 9 o'clock Eastern time. And Super Chats will get bumped to the front of the line, of course, and we always do appreciate those. Uh, Brad wants to know about a, a, a prospect in Deuce Robinson. It, Tennessee's not really been in on him, but he's a tight end that Nico was hard after this week at the Polynesian Bowl. Uh, Brent, do you see Tennessee ever becoming a factor there? All, Ethan Davis is already in this class. He's signed. He's a tight end here. But could the balls – be in there for some reason for, for Deuce Robinson. You know, if it is, that's straightly Nico's doing. I mean, Tennessee's yeah. just not been a factor there. Most people think that Southern Cal um, are, are Georgia uh, ultimately for him. So we'll see what happens. But it, it feels like um, I, I think a long shot at best to get him to actually get him here. So we'll see. I mean, I I guess you never say never at, at this point. We know Nico's working that one hard. But uh, Tennessee trying to play – to say they're playing catch-up would be the understatement of all understatements yeah, yeah. to say they're playing catch-up there. Michael's want to know about Andre Turrentine. And when we discuss the uh, secondary, Andre Turrentine was one of the guys from the transfer portal last year, a Tennessee native, went to Ohio State as a true freshman. It was kind of buried in that depth chart, came over to Tennessee, played special teams, but still really young. Um, it didn't see the field and was not a factor in there at safety whenever Jalen McCullough missed out. Of course, you saw Slaughter play safety and then, of course, those two veteran safeties, Flowers and McCullough, never came off the field when they were there, aside from maybe Wesley Walker. Andre Turrentine, yes, he is still on the roster. Kind of where do you see his makeup and, and kind of his progression now as he enters year number two on the roster for Tennessee? I, I feel like this is a big-time spring for him. Well, there's no question. And, again, how open is that competition? Yeah. Right? I mean, is is that Wesley Walker, you're, the, you're, you're one safety and – Jalen McCullough, you're the other safety. Or are we are you truly going to open that thing up and and see what opportunities present itself out there? Uh, I, I think Andre Turrentine's got some talent, got some skill. He is young. Um, I, I think that this is a big opportunity, big spring for him to make some, you know, try to make some plays and and see where he where he shows up at and, and how he goes. And and you know, the thing is, they've got parts to work with right back there, mm -hmm. right? They, they've got some. They can have some. They can have better competition at safety than than at corner in a lot of ways. When you look at that, at just the bodies that are there, um, how open is that competition going to ultimately end up being, right? And how many pieces to the puzzle do they feel like they already have plugged into place? 
are they still, you know, working that puzzle? The, the difference now for this spring compared to last spring is Willie Martinez is going to have competition on the field this spring that he didn't have a, a spring ago because so many of those guys missed spring. That's why Christian Charles was at corner. You know, he went from safety to corner. Um, you know, this is going to be different. And, and, and why you wonder exactly what that room is going to look like post-spring. Where, where's everybody at? You know, there's a second portal window. Does anybody leave? What do they feel like they are? Because Willie Martinez has got more competition in the secondary, I think, this spring than he's by far than he's had since he's been at Tennessee. How does that shake out? Turntine is one of those in there. Wesley Walker, Jordan Thomas. Um, you know, there, there's there's lots of bodies there. Christian Charles was a good looking safety prospect, right? Before he got moved to corner. So where does he factor in? Danico Slaughter, we know he doesn't really want to play corner. Do they work him at safety, right? Do they work him at nickel, or is is he going to go? Hey, you know what? I, I got a chance to be successful at corner. I'm going to I'm going to embrace being a corner. All those things will come into play uh, in, in late March when Tennessee goes to the practice field for spring ball. We're going to have Grant Ramey joining us here in just a couple of minutes to talk about Tennessee basketball. The Knights bounce back week two wins on the road after falling to Kentucky last weekend. But, Brent, I do want to ask you this. This is right before I left town. Taven Jackson entered the transfer portal. Uh, Tennessee will have two scholarship uh, quarterbacks as of now on the roster. We've said time in and time out that the transfer portal destination in terms of quarterback for Tennessee, would it would be a tough sell. Kind of what do you make of that quarterback room and the potential of a third quarterback uh, when it's all said and done, knowing that Tennessee does have Gaston Moore, who's been with Josh Heupel for three seasons now? Yeah, and I think it's going to be Gaston Moore. I mean, I'm not saying they won't take a quarterback, uh, but someone's going to have to pop into the portal and, at the end of spring. Um, I just think it's hard to get somebody to come here. I mean, yeah. look, your 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 quote your quote future at the position just won an MVP honors at an All American Bowl. He, he just ascended to the overall number one all position rankings at on three. Um, not a lot of guys, I don't think, are going to look at that and go, man, i got a great shot to come in there and win that job and yeah. be the guy. And, and I think when you look at quarterbacks who go into the portal, with the rare exceptions, most of those guys are looking to play. There's a couple of them that are looking to be a coach, you know, and, and want to stump start there. Does one of those guys fall Tennessee's way at the end of spring? Maybe, you know. Um, I, I, I Perhaps. I, I just don't know that. Is Tennessee going to look at one of those guys and say that's better than what Gadsden Moore can give us in this offense? I, I don't know the answer to that. I think what makes it what makes it now more imperative, Eric is, and I think it was going to be this way anyway. They have to find something in the twenty four class. Yeah. Now they're not going to get an elite guy, are they, in the twenty four class? I think it's going to be hard, but they've got to go evaluate someone, find somebody this spring that that they can get in this twenty four class you know, to, to, to go with Nico once Joe leaves. Cause, cause that's going to be the challenge. You cannot, you, you can't play with one scholarship quarterback. You got to have a second. You got to go get, you need to go find a high school kid somewhere. And so that evaluation by Joey Halsley and um, by Josh Heupel this spring, I think it's going to be really intriguing to watch. We will continue answering your football questions, talking about Tennessee and the transfer portal. What has happened? What could happen? Roster management, on three rankings coming up later in the show with Matt Ray. He'll join us at about 840. But coming up next, after a 60-second breather, we're going to welcome on Grant Ramey to talk about Tennessee's two wins this past weekend, this past week, one at Mississippi State's and the other at LSU. Hoops talk coming up next right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. 
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane, Brent Hubs. We're going to be on here live on the VolQuest YouTube channel until 9 o'clock. Go ahead and like this video. Let's get it up to 500 likes. That way more Tennessee fans can see this in their YouTube feed. As always, stay dialed into VolQuest.com. Incredible deal, $10 until the start of 2023 season. It is that perfect gift to give to the ball fan in your life. A birthday gift, early Valentine's Day gift, whatever the case may be. Got incredible deals over at VolQuest.com. I want to welcome onto the show now Grant Ramey, VolQuest.com, who does a great job doing a little bit of everything, but of course covering this Tennessee basketball team. Grant, first and foremost, did you miss me last week whenever I was uh, out of the country? I'm very disappointed that I haven't come here to see you in like a straw hat and like a cut-off sleeve shirt, some kind of like puka shells around your neck, some kind of Kenny Chesney vibe, at least the uh, sunglasses, sunburn thing where, you know, your eyes are white and your face is bright red. I'm a little disappointed. I was I was sure to be smart about not getting too red, but I did get a little bit burnt. It will turn to great tan. I'm 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 darker now than when I left. That's for sure. Hey, Grant, looking at Tennessee basketball this week, obviously disappointing. And I knew, I know you guys talked about it a lot last Sunday night about the the Kentucky loss, but bouncing back, it was shorthanded Tennessee on the road to Mississippi State. No Santiago Vescovi, and uh, of course no Tyree Key. Zakai Ziegler played all 40 minutes and and put on a show, and then. At LSU, no Uro. She got those two guys back. Triple J got back into the starting five. Uh, Tennessee, you know, handled a, a not so very good LSU team, but a good week in terms of doing what you're supposed to do, handling teams on the road and continuing to improve that SEC slate up to what eight and one or nine and one on the season. Yeah, and for sure a good week. And and you said it, doing what you're supposed to do. And and they didn't have Santi and they didn't have Tyreek and, and they looked pretty bad for ten minutes at Mississippi State and then they looked really good for. 25 minutes or so. And then you basically really don't have Santi at LSU. I think he scored six points. I think he might have played 30 minutes, but he's been sick too. There's basically an illness just running through this roster. Uros didn't play because he got sick Friday. Uh, Rick has said in the last week there have been a couple coaches that haven't felt well. So clearly this thing is just moving through the roster uh, over this past week. So for them to and, – and LSU and Mississippi State, not very good basketball teams. I think two SEC wins between them. LSU started uh, – Mississippi State started 11-0. LSU had another good record too to start with. And – and they've kind of fallen off a bit. For, but for Tennessee to go on the road after the way they looked against Kentucky and, and kind of got humiliated there on that big stage on their home floor, uh, to go to Mississippi State and recover the way they did, and then to go to LSU and play some of their best basketball we've seen all season. I mean, in terms of just start to finish, guys hitting shots, playing defense, forcing turnovers. Josiah scoring 22 his season high, the best we've seen him. Um, quietly, he had 34 minutes at Mississippi State and 31 minutes, I believe at LSU. So for him to up his minutes that much, that's a pretty big development based on, you know, where we were two, three weeks ago, wondering if he's going to be back on the floor. So pretty big week for this team, given everything that's going on. Grant, when you look at, at, at Josiah's minutes, I mean, how does that change this team? Because Rick went with what lineup number nine on the year to start the game yesterday. Uh, and I think his, I think you mentioned this, Rob mentioned this, it was trending this way, even if Euros had not gotten sick. 
the, the illness to zero might have forced it. Josiah at the four. Is that where the mainstay of this team is if he stays healthy? Is that what Rick wants to do? I think it's got to be. I think that's your best lineup. I think it's 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 Zakai, it's Santi, it's Julian, it's Josiah at the four, it's Olivier at the five, or whoever's playing best, uh, your best big man there at the five. I think that gives them the ability to space the floor more. It gives them shot makers, more guys that can just go get uh, buckets when they need to, and that's a, that's a guy that they need to develop or a system they need to develop more as the season goes on and, and we get closer to March. Yeah, Rick did say Urosh getting sick did kind of force it because he didn't dress. He wasn't uh, at the uh, he wasn't on the bench or whatever. I don't know if he went to the arena. He got sick Friday, so that kind of forced it. But Rick did say in the last couple of days before that LSU game they had they had thought about going small. Uh, and Josiah talked about it after the game how much it helps. The guy talked about it after the game how much they like it, um, how much they can, you know, how many different problems they can present with that lineup. So Rick is a guy that he's going to find his five guys. And he's going to just roll with them, even though you can kind of poke holes in it and say you might be better off starting a game like this. But he just, I think he's just a creature of habit where he was starting Tyreek and Santi. He wanted to bring Zakai off the bench or he, he, you know, was kind of slow playing uh, Josiah, getting him back and getting him in the starting lineup. So uh, I think it did kind of force their hand a little bit with everything going on uh, personnel wise this week with sickness and injury. But I think it helps them going forward because it looks like they're in a better place uh, with the five they started at LSU. How much? How much better is Josiah as a as an offensive player at the four from a matchup standpoint? Does that play? Does that play more to his favor than him at the three against a more athletic guy, Grant? I think so for sure because Josiah can get a guy out on the wing and and he's got guard skills. I mean, he grew up playing point guard. Everybody knows it. He was more of a facilitator than a scorer when he got to Tennessee. So he's got the size and the versatility and the the strength and the craftiness and footwork and all that stuff to know how to score in the paint if you dumped in the ball down there on the block. But he's also a guy that can step out and shoot the three ball as well as anybody on this team. The The amount of change in his jump shot from the time he got to Tennessee to what it is now, I mean, it is it is a fundamental piece of work right now, a piece of art, uh, how well he shoots the basketball. So if you can get him mid-range, that foul line jumper that he had a couple times at LSU, if you can get him on the three-point line, when he's hitting shots, it's it's a – uh, it's a nightmare for a, for a four, a big four, who, who's not used to getting out on the perimeter and having to guard someone out there like that. So, Grant, what's this mean for Tyreek Key? Of course, he missed uh, a game this week, but in trying to shake up that lineup and go a little smaller, he went off the bench, 10 points, seven rebounds. Looked like he played a little bit more alive in a different type of role. What could this mean for Tyreek Key moving forward? Tyreek Key was kind of the quiet guy at LSU that, that had a really big day. I mean, 10 points was the most he scored since early December. Seven rebounds was the most he's had all season. He had four offensive rebounds. I mean, you just don't expect that from a guy like Tyreek Key. He's strong. He knows what to do in the paint, and he knows how to rebound, but he just hadn't, you know, seven is not a number he'd gotten to this year. And, and we hadn't heard a ton from him just recently and overall. His impact on the game just hadn't been that great. So for him to hit shots the way he did, for him to get – three offensive rebounds, I believe, in the first half when Tennessee was really taking control of that game. Uh, Rick shouted him out after the game and, and kind of the impact he had. And him and Julian were, were kind of crashing the glass and, and changed things for Tennessee in the first half. So if he's more comfortable coming off the bench, if he can hit those shots for you, and more importantly, if he can be an effective rebounder the way he was at LSU, especially on offensive glass, uh, that's another big piece of the puzzle for sure. And Grant, I know that – so, sorry, Grant, I was going to ask about Zakai Ziegler. I know that injuries and all that type of stuff kind of forced the hand, but having Zakai out there playing so many minutes, he played 40 against Mississippi State, played, I think, 37 against uh, LSU. I saw you tweet this out. Total up 
his numbers the past two games. He scored what, 36 points and had a ton of rebounds and good assists. How how has he grown? How has he developed? I mean, what's different about the confidence and consistency of Kai Ziegler right now who had a double-double than maybe the one you saw a month or maybe six weeks ago? I think maybe being shorthanded at LSU might have helped him because he was so sloppy and so bad those first 10 minutes. I mean, he had five turnovers, I guess, the first 12 minutes of the first half at Mississippi State. And it wasn't just something where Rick's going to quickly, you know, you're not, you're not getting that quick hook when you don't have anybody behind him to come in there and run the point. So he was going to stay out there and he was going to have to figure it out and he was going to have to play through it. Uh, and since then, I think he, he played the first 12 minutes, he had five turns. The, he's played 65 minutes after that this week and he had one turnover and he had 36 points. He had 14 assists. He had eight rebounds. He had five steals. I mean, the, the level of play he's had the last two games after the way he looked against Kentucky, the struggles he had, the struggles the team had, everything that happened in that loss, then to go to Mississippi State shorthanded and force him to play 40 minutes. He says after the game that he's good, he could play another 40 minutes. Honestly, I believe him. I think he's one of the toughest, most well-conditioned guys on this team, and he would play 40 minutes a night if you let him. Um, that's obviously not going to be the plan going forward, but for him to be able to step up and, and put kind of that stuff behind him and have the production that he had to lead his team to those two wins, um, it's, it's huge moving forward because, I mean, he was coming off the bench this time a week ago, so for him to step into that starting role, and to be that productive, it's a very big deal. Yeah, Grant, I wonder if this is becoming Zakai's team. I, I know Josiah's, you know, the leader, and, and and he's a guy that's the veteran that has been in there who, who's kind of bridged the culture and all of those things. But when you got a guy who plays 77 minutes of basketball and is kind of the engine that, that that's, that's cooking this train, uh, you know, does this week put him in a position that this is kind of becoming a little bit of his basketball team in some ways? I think for sure. I mean, you look at what he does offensively, the, how he runs everything. I mean, he's going to facilitate. He's also going to score it a ton, as we've seen. You look at what he does defensively. He's one of the – I think he's second, or maybe he entered Saturday second in steals in the SEC. Now, Josiah, yeah, he's the face of the program. He's the old guy. He's been around. He kind of sets the tone. Him and Santi, too. Santi's been around just as long as he has, and, and he's been – uh, just as productive, but it feels like moving forward and, and kind of taking control kind of this week, it feels like Zakai's the guy that, you know, he's a fan favorite. He's a polarizing figure. <laughs> if, you, if you're playing against him, you hate him. If you're playing with him, you love him. Uh, and it feels like moving forward, yeah, what he's done. And he's just only been here a year and a half. He feels just as much like a veteran as Josiah or Santi does. He's not a sophomore. He doesn't feel like a sophomore at all midway through his sophomore year because of what he's had to do. So it does feel like I don't know if there's like a baton passing or torch passing or whatever it is, but it does feel like it's kind of moving towards the Kazi-English basketball program moving forward. Did Julian Phillips turn the corner this week, or are we premature in, in, in passing any kind of grade on, on that on that freshman kind of corner turn, if you will? I think it's still kind of believe it when you see it. I think we're starting to see it. I think it's it's moving in that direction, and that's – positive steps that he's taken forward. He's not going to give you 18 and 11 every night like he did at, at uh, Mississippi State on Tuesday. But if he can hit some shots early, if he can rebound, he's the best rebounder on this team. Um, so if he can keep taking those steps forward and look for his shot and drive and get to the foul line and do the stuff we've seen him do this week, then I think so. I mean, Rick said it maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago that he felt like it was about to be uh, a situation where Julian gets on a roll a little bit and, and starts kind of settling in. Um, I think it's moving that direction. I don't know if it's here to stay until I see it for, you know, three, four games, maybe five. 
Brett Maurer, the Cowboys, just made a 25-yard field goal. So after missing yet whoa, another extra point. Whoa, 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 whoa. Anybody's <laughs> keeping track at home. Uh, Grant, last thing I have for you, that man. That is breaking uh, news. <laughs> it really is. We are uh, this program to bring you the very latest. <laughs> we need the ABC ticker. <laughs> you got um, you got Houston that went down today, number one team. You had a couple ranked opponents that dropped this weekend. Of course, Tennessee dropped to Kentucky last week, but did re- wins. What do you see the – uh, the AP looking like tomorrow, potentially some movement up top, and, and then maybe the net, because for Tennessee in the net ranking. I think uh, Purdue will probably be number one. I think Alabama will probably be number two, uh, based on what they've done, the way they're playing. They just kind of keep rolling along. Uh, and outside of that, uh, I think Texas will still be up there. I think there'll be a big jumbled mess of Houston and Kansas and, and these teams that have lost in the last week or so, UCLA, uh, whoever else is in there. I think Tennessee will jump up past Xavier, obviously. I don't know where Tennessee will be ranked. What I do know moving forward is that that Alabama trip to Knoxville on February 15th. What's unfortunate is that's a midweek game. I think it's a Wednesday night, 7 p.m., or if that was a Saturday game, it would be that much bigger, but it's already going to be massive. It's already going to be huge. If, if Tennessee takes care of business, obviously they got a, uh, a big one with Georgia Wednesday. they got to take care of business there. Then they got an even bigger one with Texas and, and college game day in town on Saturday, and that's going to be a top you know 10 matchup at least, top eight, whatever the rankings are. Uh, tomorrow so if Tennessee can keep taking care of business and and playing the way they did this week and Alabama keeps playing the way it did uh, this week not only a huge game February 15th at Thompson Bowling Arena but obviously huge for the SEC race because right now it looks like Alabama and Tennessee and everybody else all right Grant I gotta ask you how dangerous is that Georgia game because everybody's going to be asked we've got questions in the comment section how does Tennessee match up against Texas what are some of the key things to watch against Texas I want to ask you about Texas because I'm intrigued by that, but we'll save that for the podcast later in the week. Let me ask you about Georgia. Mike White's exceeded some expectations, bad loss to Vanderbilt. How dangerous of a game is this for Tennessee when you talk about Georgia coming to town midweek? I think it's really dangerous. I think it's good that it's at home. Uh, I I, I agree that Georgia's been impressive under Mike White. Uh, It's hard to figure out a lot of teams in the SEC right now. I think Georgia's one of those. They're tougher than than I expected, honestly. Uh, based on what we've seen not only from Georgia in the past, but from Mike White at Florida. So whatever the change of scenery for both sides there, it seems like it's been working so far. But, yeah, it's really dangerous. I mean, I was writing Saturday night about, you know, what's coming next, and I wrote down Texas instead of writing down Georgia. I mean, if I'm looking past it, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's that's guilty of that. And, and you just kind of – with college game day, the, annou- the announcement that they're going to be here, obviously that makes you kind of look forward to, to Saturday a little bit more. But, no, you can't get caught sleeping against Georgia because – I mean, we've seen it uh, uh, Kentucky on Saturday uh, a week ago. They're they're not a very good basketball team. They got a lot of talented pieces, but they came in here and beat up Tennessee pretty good, handled them on the glass, and kind of pushed them around. So you better not just show up and expect to win because I thought that's what it looked like a little bit against Kentucky. Maybe we'll see Wednesday night if they learn their lesson there. All right, we're going to make Grant work overtime here. Um, you you guys put out a, a answering five questions. This is the last thing I have, by the way. I know I said that before, but you guys answered. You and Rob answered five questions. I was up on the side a couple of days ago, about a third and a couple of games into the SEC schedule. Big takeaways for Tennessee. Who is the Tennessee basketball team? Um, I, I think we can all agree it's a good basketball team, one of the best in the country when playing well, especially defensively when the shots are falling. But what are your big takeaways so far for the Tennessee basketball team? And what do they possess as a strength moving forward throughout the rest of the way? Uh, they have more depth than probably I expected, uh, more balanced scoring than I probably expected. I like their post pieces a lot more at this point than I thought maybe going into the season. I kind of like the way Urosh and Olivier and Tobey Awaka, the emergence that he's had 
and Jonas Idu, the, the progress that he's made year over year from his freshman to sophomore year. I like those pieces, and I like the way they fit together. Um, defensively, they're elite. Uh, you're always going to expect a Rick Barnes team to be good defensively, but for them to be this good has surprised me. I think the defense is going to be there night in and night out. It's going to be a matter of what is this offense and how often are they kind of hitting the ceiling of what this offense can be versus are they just hoping to score 50 points and hold the other team to under 50 points and try to win a basketball game. When this offense is clicking and when guys are hitting shots, I mean, they went, I think they started 12 for 24 at the three-point line against LSU. That's a, that's a huge thing. That's a big deal. If this offense can do that, they can do it consistently. Uh, there's a really, really high ceiling on this basketball team. Um, they, they, they haven't had a heavy, obviously, schedule SEC-wise. I don't think they've played an SEC team with a winning record to this point in league play. And that conference schedule is very backloaded on the back half. So you're going to know what this team is going into March. And I think when we get there, it's going to be the biggest question to answer is what does this offense look like and how consistently can it perform? Continue to lie to you, man. We got one more, and it's a super chat, courtesy of Dustin. Dustin, we appreciate what you did here for VolQuest.com. This question for Grant, after this last game against LSU, do you see the same starting five again, or do you see a continuous rotation based on the matchup? Good question, because it's been a little all over the place the last couple of games. Start, say, stick with the same starting line. Don't even think about changing it. Rick said Saturday night post game. he said they had to change the way they practiced the last couple of days because of sickness and injury and the stuff they're doing, we'll stick with that practice plan, whatever you did this week and, and that starting lineup and the rotation, stick with it until it doesn't work. I mean, that 40 minutes at LSU was some of the, the best wire to wire start to finish basketball we've seen from this team. So I would stick with that until it's, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I don't think you need to try to fix it right now. Stick with what you, what worked before you in Baton Rouge where you hadn't won in a while and where you played so well and just keep rolling with it, man. Yeah. Don't fire anybody mid game for, for, for the Ooh. next for the next two or three games. There, there's no point in that at this point in the season. Nobody should get fired for, for playing for playing poorly. We know we don't see them in the lineup for a while. Eric, Eric should get fired for coming back to 39 degrees in rain. That's what he should get fired for. Yeah, yeah no, no doubt. I couldn't afford to stay out there anymore, though, trust me. Uh, Grant, appreciate it, man, and uh, we'll catch up with you on the, uh, the Volquist uh, podcast on Tuesday, more with Tennessee uh, breaking down the games ahead. All right, boy, see you. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate it, man. Grant Ramey, VolQuest.com. He and Rob do an awesome job covering the Tennessee basketball team. And, of course, you can always find coverage with the basketball 3-2-1 tomorrow morning over at VolQuest.com. We're going to answer more of your questions. If you have a super chat, we'll bump you to the front of the line. Dustin, appreciate that again. But what about the latest in the tight end hire? Some more on Tennessee football. We'll have Matt Ray coming up in about seven or eight minutes. That's what you have to look forward to as we continue on right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind every Sunday night, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, VolQuest.com, and on the VolQuest YouTube channel. Please like this video and subscribe to the channel. He's Brent Hubbs. I am Eric Kane. That was Grant Ramey we just spoke to. Matt Ray going up here in just a few minutes. 
Got some questions to get answered. So if you guys want to send those in, super chats are welcome. But Bert Hubs, why don't you reset what a lot of people continue to ask about uh, the tight end hire? Josh Heupel's not in much of a hurry, but something could happen potentially this week or next. Kind of where are we on that front? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's at Josh Heupel's pace, which is in, in making hires is not the fastest pace in the world. Um, I, I still think that Jeff Ferris from UCLA um, is a um, very real candidate. Um, if it's not him, then, then I think that it's then I, I think Josh Heupel probably promotes within with, with Alec Ablin. Um, uh, unless um, Sean Literal um, or Latrell doesn't get an OC job somewhere, maybe he could factor back into it. I don't think his pre- I don't think Sean's preferences. Uh, and, and Josh knows him from, from Oklahoma, and, and obviously he was at North Texas. I'm not sure he wants to be a position coach. I think he's got his sights set on trying to be a coordinator somewhere or maybe even an NFL opportunity, but we'll see what happens there. So um, maybe Josh maybe Josh Heupel's waiting to see what, what he does. I, I don't know. Um, I think Josh Heupel's had conversations, obviously, with, with, with Ablin on staff. There's plenty of opportunities to talk there, but I think he's had some kind of conversations with, with Ferris um to, to some degree and we'll, we'll see when whenever he wants to to try to get something done here I, again it's pretty obvious he's not in any hurry um it could happen this week um as you mentioned you know it could it could be sometime in february um what when that hire is made but i you know they're gonna get it he's gonna get it done in the next couple of weeks i would think but um it, it doesn't necessarily fall you know monday tuesday or wednesday this week and there's a chance it could be, you know, in the in the early part of February before it gets done. Tony asked this earlier. I'm just now seeing this. Do you know if the tackle from Miami has played any right tackle? That'd be John Campbell. Yeah, Tony, John Campbell played some right tackle back in 2021, started all this past season at, tw- at left tackle. But he's a guy that's kind of played a little bit all over the offensive line. He does have experience at right tackle. And, and Brent, I think that, and I mean, obviously that's way more of a uh, a talking point this spring practice, but that and you know who's who's the backup the long term or who needs to go in for a snap if Cooper Mays loses his helmet. The offensive line's got some questions to answer, but most importantly, I think Tennessee's bringing in John Campbell to play. You know, losing Darnell right on the right side. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, they they have a depth issue there, um, and, and and then they you know they they need a guy to come in and play. And uh, no offense to Dane Davis, who's been on this roster, but they—I mean—they took a transfer tackle last year, basically to, to to transfer recruit over Dane Davis, if you will, right? Uh, when you talk about bringing in Gerald Mincy and 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 to a degree, uh, you know, with with JJ Crawford there for those for for Crawford and Davis to be a little bit more depth pieces. Now Crawford ended up starting, and he and Mincy kind of bounced back and forth. I don't think either one of them were great uh, consistently. I think they had some really good moments, and I think they had some moments where they played really poorly. Uh, but Tennessee knew they had to go get an offensive tackle. Um, they felt like this young man from Miami, Campbell, was the best guy out there. They had a tie there with Joe Milton, and they put all their eggs in that basket, right? I mean, they didn't – they didn't. They brought the Rhode Island guy in, but I don't think they felt like that that was the guy they wanted to go get. Campbell was the guy they wanted to go get. They went and got him. So, um, you know, they, they didn't go get him to come in and watch. I mean, this guy started every game at Miami – they brought him in here to play. Uh, he has a lot more experience than the current kid has from Texas in terms of game experience, starts, that type of deal. He's played a lot more football, uh, meaningful football, than, than even the kid from Texas has played. So they're bringing him into play for sure. 
Got a couple of questions here that Matt Ray can answer. We're going to get to him in just a moment. But first, uh, Michael does want to know about Jerry Mack. He's coached tight ends before. Uh, maybe slide him over and bring in a coach to f- uh, fill in at running back. Uh, Jerry Mack has coached tight ends, but you know that's that was a long time ago. I mean, again, this is – and Josh, Josh Heupel even said it as much in a press conference at the Orange Bowl. He's going to hire a tight ends coach. So I wouldn't imagine – bringing in a coach and, and moving it around on the offensive end, even though Jerry Mack has coached tight ends in his past. Yeah. I mean, look, so I mean, I think you're getting your culture the way you want it in your running backs room. So, so why, so why take that culture upset it, bring Jerry Mack into a tight ends room to try to bring his culture into the tight ends room and then bring in a running backs coach to restart with the running backs. So play, Keep him where he's at, plug and play with a with a tight ends coach would, would make more sense to me than sliding Jerry Mack in, who's got more experience coaching running backs than tight end. I, I don't I don't think it's advantageous to slide him and disrupt two positions as opposed to just plug. I mean, you look at Jerry Mack's group, I mean, Jalen Wright was a better football player this year than he was oh, yeah. in his first year. Now part of that's because he's maturing and he's aging and and some of that's natural, but some of that's development from Jerry Mack as well. I mean, we saw Dylan Sampson get better, right? Look at his pass protection. He, he had he had a huge blown assignment against LSU that everybody's going to remember. But look how he protected down the stretch when they asked him to play. So uh, I don't think you move Jerry Mack. I think you go hire a tight ends coach, and I think that's what Josh Heupel's planning on doing. Matt Ray, newest member here at VolQuest.com, has come on and hit the ground running with the newcomer profiles and helping out with the junior day last week. Another junior day is coming up this Saturday. Looking forward to working that with you. Let's start you off here with a question, Matt. Tony wants to know, with Cam Pringle committing to South Carolina, who else are the Vols after on the offensive line for the class of 2024? Well, to start off, you know, obviously Tennessee is going to continue to recruit Cam Pringle at that position. I mean, Glenn Ellerby was by the school there on Friday ahead of the announcement for Cam Pringle, and it, and it felt like all along that Tennessee wasn't going to land him um, heading into that. But, um, you know, you got Daniel Calhoun still on the board. Tennessee's built a good rapport there. Uh, massive offensive tackle from the state of Georgia. But, again, it's a big-time battle. He likes Alabama. He likes Georgia. He likes Ohio State. So, Tennessee got him up a couple of times last fall, and they'll, you know, likely get him back at some point in the spring. I talked about him last Rocky Top Rewind. He hasn't really took any visits far off this January because of his basketball schedule. And then you've got – um, Josiah Thompson, the um, another big, long offensive tackle, athletic guy from South Carolina that Tennessee had hoped to have down uh, for the last junior day, but he didn't make it in. Uh, ended up going to the national championship parade at Georgia. Uh, we got Ronan O'Connell in state that you know will be in at some point this spring. Hopes to be Kyle Altooner from Maryland slid in last weekend. Kyson Shepard from in-state slid in last weekend. So Tennessee's got a lot of tackle bodies and a a lot of ways that they can go as they continue to evaluate that position moving forward. Well, looking ahead to this Saturday, one of two junior days in the month of January has come and gone. Who are some of those big-time prospects that Tennessee is expecting to have in on Saturday and would like to make a big push for? Yeah, you know, Saturday, I think it starts with Jordan Marshall. It's going to be the first big running back, you know, to get on campus, a, a guy that, you know, Tennessee's recruited hard here for the past few months, and they continue to try to hit that elite back. You know, it seems like they've made some really good evals at that position. 
And Dylan Sampson, as you know, you touched on, had a good freshman season, but a guy at the time who wasn't rated that highly that a couple of schools tried to get involved with late. But, you know, Jordan will be in this weekend. He's a guy that I think gets a lot of attention. You'll see Perry Thompson in from Alabama, another coveted wide receiver. He's committed to the Crimson Tide, but he's planning to be here. Yeah, so it's already shaping up to be a good list, but for me, the headliner is is Camarion Franklin, and and I think that's the guy that's probably going to garner the most attention this weekend. You know, high, highly rated recruit, you know, already looks the part of a college ready defensive lineman. Tennessee had him at camp over the summer. Um, you know, continue to have good dialogue with him. It, it really seems right now to me like the Vols are in a good spot in that battle. Um, he was at Miami this weekend. He's got plans to get to Florida State at some point. Um, but Tennessee's done a really good job there. He cut his list to 10, but he's really trying to focus on a select few. And for me, that's the headliner this weekend as other guys will start to sprinkle into this junior day list. Yeah, man, it's going to be interesting to see who what that final list looks like, you know, when, when it all shakes out. It's not the end of the world if a guy doesn't make it right now. That You know, right. the question right now is, who can you get in town and then who can you get back for, for spring practice uh, is, is a big old part of this. But by, by the way, over your right shoulder, this is, I've just got to ask, that looks like the showbiz dancing bear on your top shelf over your right shoulder there. So I, I'm not sure. Yeah. What, what, what is that? The other shoulder. What is that at the top? This is right. This is left, Matt. <laughs> the other way. Here? What is that thing? Yeah. It looks like the showbiz dancing bear. There's a stack of trading cards and a 35th anniversary Chick-fil-A peach ball. Okay. I didn't know what that statue was up there. All right. Hey, I didn't notice oh, yeah, you that's... all that stuff up. Are you trying to compete with me, though? I noticed that when you first jumped on. You set the bar, Eric, and I yeah. went back while you were that's on the That's why I got all this stuff behind me. And Brent, Brent's looking good. You got, I mean, it, you know, Austin put down the Christmas tree, so I don't know what his next move is. but I put my trading cards up here, you know, so trying to – Trying to catch up to you. You went on the honeymoon. I went back, watched all the Rocky Top rewinds, analyzed it, and said, "You know, I got to catch up to Eric Kane." Breaking down, breaking down some film. Everybody, yeah. a lot of all, a lot of Vol fans, a lot of teams around the country are breaking down film of Deuce Robinson after the Polynesian Bowl. Right? We saw Nico talking him up. A lot of people are asking tonight: Is there any chance Tennessee can become a factor there, Matt? I think it's a long shot at best. But what is your feeling on it? You covered uh, that better than me. Yeah, I feel the same way, Brian. I think I think it's a long shot. You know, let's put it around 25, 20, 20, 25% chance he gets to campus. Now, if he gets to campus, then I think, you know, Tennessee's at least got an interesting pitch to sell to him with what the tight end room looks like. You know, the possibility to play with Nico for at least a couple of years and, you know, the early opportunities in that tight end room. He's a guy that, I mean, he looks he looks the part. You know, he, he's got the body. He's got the speed. He's got a natural, you know, just flow to him at what you see from the modern day tight end. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, I still, I think it's a long shot even to get him to campus. So we'll see if they can get him in. And if they do, you know, we'll see where things go from there. But I think it's a long shot. Matt, the, Transfer uh, the portal. On, talk- oh, sorry, Brent. I was going to say that the final on three rankings, you know, came out this past week. Of course, Nico, the headliner there, the number one prospect in the country for the cycle, but there was a lot of movement for Tennessee uh, in those final rankings. And you and Brent both wrote stories about it. This class, 2023, shaping up to be a pretty good one. Top 10 class, the consensus rankings per on three. What do you make of all the movement for Tennessee? And of course, Nico there in the top spot. 
Yeah, Brent and I talked about it a little bit. I think it just, you know, a lot of it just credited back to the evals from the Tennessee staff. You know, you see guys like Nathan Laycock move into the top 50. Jordan Matthews make a 100-spot move. Um, Tyree, Tyree Weathersby quietly sitting right on the cusp of being a top 100 guy at 108. You know, so overall, you know, again, it, I, I think it just goes back to, to those moves. Credit Tennessee staff for hitting those early evals and getting some of those guys in the boat and then putting a product on the field that, that people can relate to and see and as as the on three, you know, guys analyze these recruits and see how they're going to fit in the Tennessee scheme, I, I think that helps, you know, right? I mean, obviously these are projections and, and how are you going to project inside of that system? And I think a lot of that lines up. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting too, Matt, moving forward. Tennessee has been really good as, as in the evals, right? Squirrel White for a year ago and, and Laycock. And two, you know, obviously both those are at the receiver position. Nathan Robinson's a guy they evaluated before everybody else and, and went that, yeah. you know, went after him. Now that they have won 11 games and their name is going to pop up on so many more guys' radars that are on list, right? That are already on recruiting list. It's going to be interesting to see if they kind of fall to that default to that deal or if they stay in the world of our eyeballs or our eyeballs and we're going to go after these guys and stay true to kind of the evals that, that we have we have gone through the process with. I think that's the way they'll go. But you well know this. I mean, it can easily get caught up in you know this four-star running back, this five-star corner, or, or this guy here – you know, says he wants to come in and, and that type of deal. So um, I think that's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think one thing, you know, working for Tennessee right now is you know, they, they've been able to get a lot of these guys that are four and five stars currently in this class to campus for camps, you know, for in-person evals. And, you know, they've laid their footprint in, in a lot of good ways and got guys up and been able to evaluate them in a lot of different ways. So, you know, luckily right now, I don't think it's that far off. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm like you, Brent, that, that's always interesting to see you get caught up in, you know, having to chase a guy because he's an in-state four-star and, and, and a rival program is going to get him even if you feel like the eval is not there. I don't think that ends up happening for this staff. It sure doesn't feel like it. Matt, it was a big week for Nico. Obviously, as, as we already mentioned, the, the number one ranking for this 23 cycle per on three. But he was out of the Polynesian Bowl taking part in practices, being coached by former Georgia head coach Mark Rick. Austin did an awesome job bringing us a ton of coverage from out there in Honolulu. You were asked about it last night in your chat a little bit. What do you take from Nico's performance uh, in the uh, Polynesian Bowl? It's an all-star game, so it's a little tricky, but... He does cap his prep career with offensive MVP honors and a fourth quarter game winning drive. Yeah, a great inning for Nico to start. You know, like Austin mentioned, um, he had opportunities to play in all of the all of the bowl games, the the Army game, the Under Army game. He chose that one because it meant you know more to him. So to go out there and and to do that and to cap his career in that way, I thought that was you know great for him. And, and I touched on it a little bit last night. I felt like you know. Earlier in my career of doing this, I would I would hang the moon on somebody, you know, from an all-star performance because it felt like, you know, you were seeing them against other truly elite competition. But when you when you study that week and what goes into it a little bit more and it, it's not the end-all, be-all. But it's, you know, for Nico, he got to throw to some guys like 
Zachariah Branch, Deuce Robinson, guys that are going to be, you know, that are already playing at a high level and at a college speed. And, you know, I thought to have worked with those guys for a short time, I thought his timing looked good, his decision-making looked good, you know, minus the one throw, um, which I think was just a simple miscommunication um, on the interception to the sideline. But overall, you know, I thought to me what stood out the most with Nico was the fourth quarter. You know, he had sat out. It looked like he might be done. And they get the ball back, and he goes down and leaves a, you know, game-winning touchdown drive. I think that shows a little bit, you know, of his mentality and the competitor that he is. Um, and, and, and he did compete during that game. There was no shying away. He ha- had a couple of good long runs and, and hung in the pocket and made some throws. So, overall, I thought, you know, a solid performance for Nico for sure and very deserving of the offensive MB- MVP honor. You know, what's that? What's that maturation process for Nico? Obviously, there's going to be a learning curve there. Uh, no freshman, normally, no freshman walks in and just you know is, is great day one. But he's already been here for two weeks. He ran the scout team, getting Tennessee's defense ready for the Orange Bowl. Uh, but he's so polished. He has such such high upside. This spring, kind of in, in in your estimation, kind of what does he need to do when he comes in and truly begins his college experience here on Rocky Top and. Uh, you know, just tries to learn as much from Joe and tries to get adapted to the college game because he's got all the tools, but it might not just flip like that for some people. Yeah, you know, I think as a freshman, the best thing you can do is get in there and just be a film room junkie. Try to understand, have your clipboard with you at all times. If, if something doesn't seem right, make a note, ask why. You know, he's a guy that I think is a is a gym rat in a way. And, you know, you can take that and, you know, combine it with the film room side of things. But I know when – when his recruitment was going on, before he was committed to Tennessee, you know, I'm a usually pretty early. I'm a, I'm a 6.30, 7 o'clock guy in terms of getting up. And there were times where I'd only be up maybe 30, 45 minutes, and Nico would be posting his story. He'd be in the gym in California with his dad, Big Nick. You know, they'd be working on something, you know, at 4.30 out, out there. So, so I think he's dedicated to his craft. I think the main thing is, is, you know, as he comes out here, not losing sight of that, staying dedicated to the craft, staying in the film room, and just trying to be a sponge and absorb everything that he can from Joe Milton and, and Joey Halsley. All right, before I get to my final question here, a shout-out to Dustin Sellers here. Uh, Dustin, we appreciate you with the super chat. I have to do this one because these two young pups have no idea what this means. <laughs> Dustin says that it's that the bear's name is Billy Bob. That's the showbiz bear. Billy Bob, and he says, long live showbiz. It's better than Chuck E. Cheese. Absolutely it is. 80s birthday parties at Foothill Mall in Maryville. They had one in West Knoxville. It was the it was the place. They had square pizza. For, the, for I'm, I'm just educating you boys here. I know we're Got about it. out of time, but they had square pizza. Uh, they had Spy Hunter. They had Turbo. They had Pole Position, Excite Bike. All of the cool games that we were playing in the arcade, I didn't spend waste any time in the skee-ball machine or going to the to the bear concert that they were having there you just hung out in those video games you had your team baseball or your team basketball party there end of year banquet was always there it was fantastic so shout out to you dustin man after my heart right there that remembers the good old days of of showbiz pizza um matt you you were talking about nico and, and you were talking about you know being a gym rat a year ago josh heupel bragged on the early enrollees and how they blended in and how much they just dove into it and really were mature all the way through. You have got all of these bios on all these signees. You've talked to these guys through the process. 
and everybody's different when they move to college, right? It all changes. So we don't know the answer to this, but do you feel like this is a pretty mature group of guys that are coming in here? I'm not talking about the transfers. That's a given, but, but with those other guys, do you feel like that, that that's a pretty good blend of 14 guys or whatever the number ended up being that, that are coming in in terms of maturity? Yeah, I do. You know, and talking to a lot of those guys, I, I really think so. Um, just seeing how some of those guys went through their process, how they handled things. There wasn't a lot of, you know, drama or theatrics with, with this class, so to speak. You know, guys that were pretty straightforward with you, you know, from the jump. You know, guys that, that were honest about, you know, what they wanted to do, how they were handling things. And then, you know, I think it, they had already connected well you know, a lot of those guys had connected well as they started to trickle those commitments in. You know, dating back, you know, we touch on this, and, and it felt like coming out of that weekend that that Rocky Top Palooza was really a chance for Tennessee to, to build their class. And when you start looking at a lot of the guys that were there, man, it's, that's really laid the groundwork for it. And those guys had a great weekend and connected. And, and, you know, I think overall this is a group that's coming in. They're excited. They bought into Tennessee relatively early, not a ton of late commitments from, from the group of guys that are going to be here. Most of those guys got in the class early before that 11-win season. You know, so they they bought into the vision. Then they saw the product. So I think that excites them even more. Um, and I think they're going to come in here hungry and ready to work, you know, just based on the conversations, you know, that I've had with those guys. And I think from what we saw in, you know, just a, a – brief viewing period in, in Miami, they, they seem to, you know, already try to be soaking things up. It does say something when a guy like Jeremiah T. Lander visits five times, right? I mean, there, there shouldn't be a whole lot of adjustment. I mean, Nico was here three times. And again, all those guys have been here for two weeks, um, yeah. you know, to, to know what to do. So that is the benefit. I think Eric, it's not about what you learn in terms of X's and O's. It's the understanding of the expectations that you learn in the two weeks that you're you were involved, whether it was in Knoxville or at the bowl site. So um, it would be disappointing if this group was was a slow starting group when they come in, I guess. Well, yeah. I think – sorry, Eric. I think Arion Carter is is a perfect guy to, to point to. You know, blew up late in his recruitment, you know, handled things, you know, pretty nicely you know, up till the end. Earned an All-American bowl invite. I mean, it's something that he probably thought was far from gone and – you know, he said, no, he said, I've, I've only got one chance to jumpstart my college career. I'm going to Knoxville. I'm going to early enroll. I'm going to get started in that. And I'm just going to, you know, take the honor that I was, you know, selected as an, an as an All-American, you know. So for, for me, like that's one that speaks volumes to, to what some of the guys in this class are capable of mentally. And you go back to August 15th, an, all, an All-American Bowl invitation seemed like, just impossible for a guy like Gary and Carter. And then he was going to Memphis as a running back. Yeah. Yep. Just wild. Uh, yep. Hey Matt, you still got a bunch of those player profiles coming out this week. What else you got uh, on the recruiting front that we should look forward to at ballquest.com? Yeah. So we'll, we'll catch up with some guys ahead of the junior day, see where they're at, you know, coming in, I plan to plan to have some stuff up on Camarion Franklin, you know, later in the week. Again, I think that's the headline or more more player profiles. And then obviously we'll catch up with more guys throughout the week coming into that. And then you and I will have junior day coverage on Saturday. Looking forward and to we'll it, keep Matt. An eye on, it as always, man. I say we'll also keep a track on uh, uh, the, our, our transfer possibility from Ole Miss, right? 
who's paying right. everything really close to the vest as well. So we'll keep up with that. Sorry, interrupted Eric. I've stepped all over you tonight. I'm not ready for, I guess I wasn't prepared for Eric to return from uh, parts unknown on the honeymoon. Matt, good to see you, bud. We'll talk to you on the podcast. Good to see you. Thank y'all. I'm coming in, banging on walls, breaking windows, stepping all over people as well. But no, hey, I think I think it's me. I don't think it's you, my friend. <laughs> well, it's been a blast as always. The Rocky Top Rewind every single Sunday nights here at eight o'clock on the on the uh, Ball Quest YouTube channel. We look back the week that was the Tennessee basketball team over the weekend, recruiting a whole lot more. Brent, we've got tons of stuff coming up this week. The Ball Quest podcast on Tuesday, mailbag on Thursday, Monday night chat coming up. There's always stuff to find at VolQuest.com, right? Yeah, no doubt. And we're obviously tracking the tight end coaches hire. Where are they with Josh Heupel's contract? I do believe that's going to get done um, sometime this winter, you know, not even probably <laughs> wait till spring. I don't think that's going to, it's certainly not going to be in the summertime like it was a year ago. So we're, we're, you know, trying to track that. When does the NCAA respond? What kind of conversations Tennessee continued to have with them? We're, we're continuing to try to dive into anything we can find there as well. Baseball team is getting ready to get rolling. Preseason number two, pick up a big commitment. Um, lots of things going on there, so we'll have that. We'll have some stuff on Tennessee's defense as well. So there's plenty to dive in and check out at BallQuest.com each and every day. And someone asked about Lucas Ramirez earlier in the chat. We didn't have a chance to get to it, but he is rated a 9 out of 10 by perfect game, which means he is a projected top 10 round draft pick or the uh, or the uh, highest level of college prospect out there. So Lucas Ramirez, son of Manny Ramirez, class of 2024, corner infielder, outfielder, uh, committed to Tennessee and Tony Vitello on Friday night. Um, hopefully we'll have something on that. And tons of baseball coverage, as you mentioned. It's the season is just right around the corner. They're going to be out there in Phoenix ready to get going at the MLB Desert Invitational. For Brent Hubbs, Grant Ramey, Matt Ray, I am Eric Kane. This has been the Rocky Top Rewind. Dustin, appreciate the Super Chats, and thank you all for joining us, asking questions, and watching the Rocky Top Rewind. Tell them why Showbiz Pizza is so good. We make the dough fresh every day. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.